invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the church at Ephesus, uh, the second uh, part sermon that we began last week. Someone said the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure, and so I'm, I believe that. So I didn't want to keep you an hour and 30 minutes last week, so I want to uh, finish the message this week in Revelation chapter 2, beginning uh, in verse 1. As you saw in the, uh, in the video just a couple of minutes ago, this was... Uh, quite a remarkable church and quite a remarkable city, uh, the city and the church there at Ephesus. Think about this, the Apostle Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he did in any other city on his three, some say four, uh, missionary journeys. Uh, the Apostle Paul spent three years there in that one city. And the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 19 that all the world heard the word of God as it was preached from this very influential city, uh, the major port city of Asia Minor, 250, 500,000 people in the city, and Paul started this church. And then Timothy, he placed Timothy there to be the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus. And then he was followed by none other than the apostle John. John spent 30 years there, around 80, 60 or so to about 80, 90. John spent 30 years serving and teaching and preaching in Ephesus. So. I tell you guys, they had quite an illustrious history and origin, did they not? Their problem was not doctrine, I assure you. If Paul starts the church and Timothy pastors and John follows it up, I guarantee you that this church had great doctrine, great orthodoxy, great theology. But that was not their problem. In fact, this church is known by and large for this statement. You have left your first love. And that is the word that Jesus Christ gave to this illustrious, dynamic body of believers, this band of disciples, these brothers and sisters in Christ who had such an amazing beginning. And yet, here I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I think happened to this church. I'm supposed to wait, but I just can't wait. I, I've got to tell you. This church, they got so busy defending Jesus, they forgot what it was like to be in love with Jesus. And if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, if you find yourself in a difficult city like Austin, if you find yourself in a difficult city like Ephesus, where we are no more for not the things of God, if you will, than the things of God, if you're not careful, you can get this entrenched mentality. This idea that I'm, I'm this Elijah syndrome, that I'm the only one here that loves God, and man, I've got to stand, I've got to fight, I've got to do... And, and if you're not careful and you get so entrenched in that, you will begin to be lifeless and cold in your relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Great Hills, if it can happen at Ephesus, it can certainly happen to us. Where we get so busy in the religion of Christianity that we miss out on the vital love relationship of Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? How do you not do that? How do you not fall into that trap of that defense mentality and, and man, just guarding the faith, being, you know, keepers of the treasure of the Christian faith? And how do you maintain that, that dynamic love relationship with Christ while all the time believing and, and focusing on, on doctrine? When I used to teach at the seminary, the first thing I would tell my students when they came to class, the very first day I would say, we're going to focus on the three O's. We're going to fo focus on orthodoxy because what we believe is very important. And that is philosophy and history and Greek and Hebrew and doctrine. And, and all of those things are very important. And we're also going to focus on orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is where you take what you believe and you actuate it. You put it into practice. And then the third O is ontology, which refers to more of the essence of who we are, our ethics, our morality. And, and you think about that, whether you're training for the ministry or, or you're a follower of Christ, a lay person like, like most of you are here today, if you believe correctly and you live correctly and your heart is clean before God, then you are a mighty weapon in the hands of God. And this past week, as, as, as many of you know, if you read my, my newsletter, and, and, and obviously I didn't show up Thursday morning uh, except by video teaching the class, uh, that I was called away this week. Um, a good friend of mine had passed away suddenly uh, in, in his sleep. He died of a massive heart attack, and the family asked me if I would come and preach uh, Phil Sherritt's funeral. So I flew back to, to Raleigh, North Carolina, and had the opportunity to speak at, at Phil's funeral. Let, let me tell you a little bit about his life. 
Because in a real way, he encapsulates the very essence of this sermon of how to love God and, and believe correctly and yet live a life that is pleasing to God. Phil was an interesting man. He was, he was a very large man. I'm not talking about just, just obese large. I'm talking about he was large and in charge kind of guy. I mean, his hands literally were like this big. I mean, his hands would look like that up against my hand. He was a very successful businessman, and he would come and he would sit in the church that I served as the interim pastor while I was teaching at Southeastern Seminary. And he would sit there, and his arms would be crossed like this, and he would stare a laser beam hole right through me. I tell you, it's hard to preach to people like that. I mean, they, he just sat there, and he just like, I dare you to bless me. I don't want to be here. If the only reason I'm here is because my wife made me come, and I just don't really like you. That, that's what he was telling me, you know, by, by just looking at me. So after a few months of, of that, I just kept preaching like I'm doing with some of you back there. I'm just going to keep loving you and just keep preaching. <laughs> Finally, Phil, that tough, rough exterior, the Holy Spirit just began to chip away at it. And at 47 years of age, very successful businessman there in North Carolina, he comes forward, he, you know, the old nomenclature, he gave his hand to the preacher and gave his heart to Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. He, he got gloriously saved, and I got to baptize him. <laughs> y'all follow me, y'all, right? That was quite an undertaking. I'm glad I'd eat my Wheaties and been working out because I'm telling you, to get him down was one thing. To get him up was quite another matter. I mean, we, we got him up, and I'll tell you what, from 47 to 64, he stayed in love with Jesus, and it was a wonderful thing to watch. And I, and I think about Phil's life. He, man, you know, Mary did not have to ask him to come to church. Man, he, he couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday. He couldn't wait to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You see, he got really radically saved, got changed. He gave his heart to the Lord, and God changed his desires. God changed his whole life. And, and so he wanted to worship God. He wanted to, he wanted to study God's Word. He, he was one of those guys that he just could not get enough of expositional Bible teaching. I mean, he would read God's Word, and he would come to church, and he'd say, Preacher, preach God's Word to me. I'm so thirsty. I'm so hungry. And here's why. He spent the rest of his life from age 47 to 64. Now watch this. He leveraged his financial means for the Great Commission. He was a brilliant man. He, he had invented this device where these construction workers would walk into this rectangular device and they would be filthy dirty from working all day. I don't know how he did. He's a brilliant inventor, genius guy. And they would walk in there and somehow... It would just zap their clothes, and they would walk out, and they would be clean. It was an amazing, it was an amazing thing, and God blessed him in that invention. But here's what he would do. He took on the nation of Belarus for the gospel. I mean, he, he made multiple trips to Belarus, and he established a presence of Christ in those orphanages and in those camps. Brother Terry Hurt and I and Emily and, and Katie, we had an opportunity to go over. We took multiple trips over there. And I was thinking about Phil's life, and I, and I was thinking about the, the loveless church, and, and really the way to stay out of the gutter and the way to become ossified and calcified in our religion, in our Christianity, is this. is to make sure you have that dynamic relationship with God through worship. You worship Him passionately, not only corporately as a church like we're doing today, but I'm talking about individually on your knees before God every day in worship. Number two, he read the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. He saturated his mind in the Scripture, and then glory to God. It wasn't just orthodoxy with Phil. It was orthopraxy. He, he poured his life. He leveraged his money, his finances, and he, he gave it for the furtherance of the gospel, and nobody could ever look at Phil Sherritts and say, you, my friend, have left your first love. He never did. And that's what I want to do. Don't you? Don't you want to start well and, and finish, finish well? Well, let, let's look at Revelation chapter 2. It's a powerful passage of Scripture, and we'll focus on the latter part of this, of this text. Well, let, me, let me read chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel, the angelos, the messenger of the church at Ephesus, Jesus said, John, write these things. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Jesus said, and I'm going to give you a word of commendation. Church at Ephesus, number one, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not, 
and you have found them liars. And you have persevered and you have patience. And Another word for patience there is endurance, if you will. And you have endured and you have labored, kapos. Labor here, it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. It means that you have poured out blood, sweat, and tears for the furtherance of the gospel. I mean, you have you're just labored for the gospel. And, and Jesus says, I commend you for this. You have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary nevertheless. However, I have this against you, that you have left me. You have departed from, abandoned, you have forsaken your first love. And then... Jesus, now, he's so amazing. He gives the diagnosis, but now he gives the prognosis. He, he tells them what is wrong, and now he tells them how to get, to get back what they have lost, to, to correct that which they have forsaken and abandoned. And, and look at the words of Jesus when he says in verse 5, first thing you got to do is you got to remember where you have fallen. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Number two, he says, repent. And then number three, he says, repeat or do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear. Now, it's interesting, verse 7, Jesus is addressing the church at Ephesus, but now he's addressing every church. If you've got an ear on your head, and if you've got spiritual listening devices, then Jesus is telling the church at large, any church, every church, especially churches that are in difficult places, in difficult times, and the culture just seems to be an avalanche, an overwhelming avalanche of immorality and, and difficulty, and the city now is known way more for what it, what it stands for, the things of darkness, than it stands for the things of light, just like the church at Ephesus, just like the city of Ephesus. But then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who, nikos, Nike, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have the grand privilege of taking a, the next few minutes and just soaking our minds Allowing that word to just saturate us and fill our minds and fill our hearts. Father, I pray that you would be with me the, the, as I teach the scriptures today. May I be faithful. May I say exactly what you want me to say. And, and help me include those things, Lord, in my notes that need to be there. And exclude the things that don't need to be there. And God, help me say exactly what you want me to say to the many that are here and the many that are listening and watching in various ways. So, Father, we just pray now that you would speak to our hearts. And, God, we pray that you would be pleased with what you hear and what you, and what you see. And at the end of this message, oh God, I pray for us, the church especially, that, Lord, our hearts would be renewed and our zeal, Lord, would be rekindled and we would walk away from this place today radically changed, more in love with you, God, than would we arrive. For me, this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we, we looked at the words of commendation. And let me, let me just give you a summary statement of the words of accolade, the word of praise, if you will, for the church there at Ephesus. Jesus said, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know your perseverance, I know your church discipline, I know your tireless efforts for me and the gospel. And so, really, the first few verses in verse 6 it, it, it summarizes all the good things that Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, had been engaged in. And this is where we stopped last week. So let me pick up with the last word of commendation. And this in our notes would be B. It would be the hatred of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So who were these guys? Would it not be absolutely devastating if you were known for all time and eternity as something that Jesus hated. What if you and I were engaged in some kind of activity that the Bible, and by the way, the souls of men and the Word of God will last forever. So forever and all eternity, the Nicolaitans, their deeds will be known as the deeds that Jesus Christ personally hated. You say, well, Brother Dan, what in the world did they do? And who in the world were they? So there were two theories. There are two theories. Let me give you these. You may want to jot these down. Who knows? You may teach Revelation one day. 
you laughing at me like, no, I could never do that. Oh, yes, you could. They'd be amazed how much you can do. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So number one, uh, many people in the early church like Tertullian and Irenaeus and Augustine, some of the heavyweights of the early church believed that the Nicolaitans was a heretical group who were an offshoot of one of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, a man by the name of Nicholas. I find this a very fascinating theory, and none other than Augustine and Irenaeus, two of my favorite early church fathers, believed that Nicolaus was a deacon gone bad, all right? And he departed from the faith, and he adopted this heretical teaching and lifestyle that somehow commingled bad teaching and sexual immorality in the church, okay? Now that's viewpoint number one. Viewpoint number two is the one that I hold to. Who in the world am I to disagree with Augustine and Irenaeus? But I believe that the answer is found in the etymology of the very word. Look at that word with me for just a moment. Nicolaitans. Nik Nikos is the word Nike. It's the word uh, conqueror. It's the swoosh. Are y'all with me this morning? Look, some of y'all on your tennis shoes. Look at your tennis shoe this morning. There is a swoosh from Philip Knight. He created that word Nike based on this Greek word, nikos, which means to overcome, to be a conqueror, to never, never lose in defeat. So you've got that word, the prefix, but the suffix is the word laity. Laos in the Greek means lay people. That's where we get this English word laity. Laity means the common people, the people. And so there's this Nicolaitans, there's this group that conquers the people. And I think that's who these people are. I don't think they have anything to do with Nicholas, the deacon gone bad. There is this sect, S-E-C-T. There is this group emanating out of the local church, and they somehow commingle and combine this twisted doctrine with this sexual promiscuity, immorality within the church, okay? Within the church. And Jesus said, you hate their deeds, and I commend you for it, for I hate their deeds also. And by the way, these Nicolaitans did not have a chance in Ephesus. They knew doctrine. Man, they knew their, they knew their dogma. They knew their orthodoxy. And so, and that is one of the benefits, by the way, of having a Bible doctrine and Bible teaching. Because you can spot counterfeit very easily. In fact, if I'm up here and I start espousing some goofy, far-fetched kind of religion and doctrine and theology, you at Great Hills would detect that and you would automatically ascertain that that is heresy and that should not be promulgated from the pulpit, and I commend you for that. And I, I'm, I'm honored to pastor a church like that because we know our doctrine, we know our history, we know our theology, we know our philosophy. Some of you even know your Hebrew and your Greek. And so that is a good thing. Orthodoxy, doctrine, dogma is always a good thing, and you will never hear me say anything but that. The believers in the church at Ephesus opposed the Nicolaitans, and that was good. But then, Jesus said, however, <laughs> while I've got your attention, let me share some things with you that I'm not very pleased with. And I, I imagine you could have heard a pin drop. When that pastor is standing in that, in that church, in that house church, and he takes this copy of the Apocalypse and he's reading off, man, Jesus is proud of us. And listen to the ways he's proud of us. And I bet that pastor's going, woohoo, man, this is awesome. And then he goes, however. And he goes, oh, this is not so awesome. However, on the other hand, you dear beloved church at Ephesus, you have left your first love. Wow. What? What an exhortation. What a word. What a stinging, biting word of criticism from none other than the Lord of the church. So let's look at the words of exhortation here that Jesus gives. First of all, he gives the word of rebuke. You'll see it. He says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And by the way, I understand how this can happen. We can get so busy and occupied defending Jesus and standing for truth and, and, and combating heresy and immorality and, and standing for God. And, and if, we, if we're not careful, we can become so immersed in that 
that our Christianity evolves into a religion, a Pharisaic kind of religion, where we're so busy and entrenched fighting for God that we forgot that God actually wants us to be happy. That he actually wants us to be joyful. That he, that he does want us to be strong in orthodoxy, but he also wants us to be strong in our orthopraxy. Next, he gave some requirements. He said, I rebuke you, but here's what I want you to do to get back in right relationship with me. Number one, he says, remember. Remember from where you have fallen. The Lord Jesus, the founder of the church, says, you have left your first love. You, and and I, believe it, I believe this is what he's saying. You have, you have abandoned me. You have forsaken me. I am your Lord, I am your leader, I am the one who created you. And in the process of being so entrenched and defending me in this very difficult city, you've lost your love relationship, you, you've lost the intimacy and, and the fellowship that, that I so desperately want with you. So he says, remember where you've fallen. Number two, he says, repent. And Jesus was a repentance kind of preacher, I'm telling you. He would tell them, listen, when you've done something you should not have done, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to do an about-face. Metanoia is a military term. Whenever it's used almost every time in the New Testament, it means that a person or a church is going this way, and they do an about-face. They turn around a 180. They, they leave that life and that mentality, and they, and, and they embrace this way, this mentality. And so that's what Jesus is commanding them to do. He's telling you, I'm, I'm asking you to repent, to change your ways. To, to move away from this, this hard shell, calcified religion and, and, and come back to me and, and enjoy me and, and allow me to, to bless you with, with life and joy and vitality. And I'm telling you guys, it can happen. It can happen to the best of us. Can it not? I was listening to the radio this week and heard a true story. It was Monday morning. I wish we had spring break every week. You know, you know why? Because of the traffic. Amen. You, you know what I'm saying? Man, what a blessing. Instead of taking me 30, 40 minutes to get to work early in the morning, I, I can just come in, just cruise in. I'm like, man, this is wonderful. Teenagers, would that be all right with you all to have spring break every week? Amen. So I'm driving in, and I'm listening to a radio station. They're talking about a man by the name of Randy. In fact, Randy has called in to the station, and he is giving his story. And his story fascinated me. He was kind of country. He, he was from somewhere in Alabama, Mississippi. I, you say, how do you know? You're being judgmental. No, because I are one, all right? I, I am one of these Alabamians, these countrified people. Um, <laughs> I just thought of a quote from W.A. Criswell. He says, you know, I'm just a country boy, and the only reason I got a Ph.D. is because I'm a country boy, but I wanted people to hear me, you know, and to hear me out. And so anyhow, what was I saying? Oh, yes, Randy. Randy said, I, um, you know, I used to serve the Lord. And I thought, wow, I know where this is going. It almost sounded like he used to be a pastor. And I used to walk with God, and I used to serve God. And I'm telling you, when my wife left me, when she left me, my world fell apart. And in that moment, I just quit serving God. I turned my back on God. I turned my back on the church. I turned my back on my Christian friends. And I walked away from the church. I walked away from everything that I knew. And I began to, to associate with people that I probably should not have. And I tell you, I got myself in an ever-loving mess. Okay. You said, well, how does that happen? I mean, you just don't wake up one day and turn your back on God. No, you don't. But I want to tell you something, guys. It happens every single day. It happens not only in individual lives, but it happens in the life of churches. Entire corporate churches can do what this man did and just turn away from God. And he said, I'm telling you, my life was a wreck. And I was driving down the street two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, he said. And he said, God the Holy Spirit spoke to me so profoundly. It, 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 was, it was such a powerful word. He said, I looked out. In this, in this open field. And he wasn't having a vision. I mean, this literally happened. He saw it with his two physical eyes. He saw this tree. And this tree was emaciated. The bark was falling off. The, the, the limbs were broken. It was barren. It had no fruit. And it was all isolated out there by itself. And he said, the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart. Because once I looked at that tree, my eyes cast a glance over here to this grove of trees. 
And each one of those individual trees that was connected with the other trees, they were all healthy. Their bark was healthy. Their limbs were healthy. Their root system was healthy. They had fruit. They had it. And he said, the Holy Spirit said, you're like that tree. You've, you've walked away from the church. You've walked away from my protection. And I've allowed you to do that. And look where it's gotten you. And, and Randy said, at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God just shot an arrow of conviction through me. And, and he really began to look at his life. He said, that is me. I have no joy. I have no peace. I do party and I, with these people, but that doesn't bring me any everlasting peace. And he said, in that moment, in that very moment, he said, I repented and I came back to God. And it was so fascinating. I was listening to his story and I was listening to the, the, the radio host as they were just rejoicing with him. And as I said a moment ago, they said, Randy, when did all this happen? He said, two weeks ago. So he is someone that remembered and he repented so number three jesus said and this is this is so interesting he said now i want you to repeat i want you to do your first works now let me ask you church what in the world does that mean some of you are going i don't know but that's why you're up there you're supposed to tell us well, i'm, I'm going to tell you what what i think it means jesus said i want you to do the first works here's what i think he means what is the great commandment in the bible Love the what? The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, come on, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus said, this is it. You can hang all the law and the prophets on these two commandments. Love God and love one another. And then what did Jesus tell the church right before he left them? As he departed, he said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority, exousia, all authority has been divested into me. Now, therefore, I want you to go and do what? Have fellowship, eat chicken, and hang out. Amen. No? He said, I want you to go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations. So, to me, this is the basic axioms of Christianity. Love God, love one another in the church, and then love the lost. And somehow, somewhere, the church at Ephesus had gotten away from that. They had gotten away from just the basic thrust of Christianity. They had become like the Pharisees. They had become so concerned about being right and dutifully serving God that they missed God even though he stood right in their midst. A few years ago, I was attending a, attending a conference. It, it's the Mega Metro Pastors Conference. And uh, Pastor Ochester, you, you were probably there at that time, and I was sitting there, and Dr. Adrian Rogers began to speak. And I was, I was in my early 30s. I didn't know nothing. I was just sitting there, you know, like, what in the world am I even doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm amidst all my heroes, and I'm just kind of sitting there. But I didn't say a whole lot, but I'm telling you, I listened a lot. So I'm sitting there, and Dr. Adrian Rogers said these words, and I'll never forget them. He said, gentlemen, I mean, he has this voice, I mean, like the voice of Moses, gentlemen. He said, we as Southern Baptists are now today known more for what we are against than what we are for. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. He said, I'm out to try to change that. So recently I wrote a check for a million dollars to the city of Memphis, Tennessee. I was like, come again? What, what, what did you just say? He said, I led my church, Bellevue Baptist Church. We wrote a check for a million dollars, gave it to the mayor, gave it to the leadership of the city, said, God bless you, take it, do with it, whatever you feel like you need to do with it. Just know that Bellevue Baptist Church loves the city of Memphis. You know, I want to do that one day. I really do. I told the deacons a few weeks ago. They all passed out. I had to resuscitate them. I was like, come back, guys, come back. They're like, what, what, what? And, and even they wrote me and they said, really? You would like to give... The mayor of Austin, a million dollars from our... I, I really would. Just, just to say, here, receive this and be blessed by our congregation. Steve Gaines, a dear brother of mine, a friend of mine, he became the pastor of that church, and he has continued that legacy of Adrian Rogers. And, man, they have these blessed Memphis days, and it is absolutely phenomenal what they are doing in the city of Memphis. They are literally 
adopting these indigent, poor communities. They're go- the Bellevue members are flooding their schools, their neighborhoods, their, their communities, their parks, and, and they are just changing that city. And, and Bellevue now is no more for what they're for than what they're, what they're against. I want to be no more for loving the lost and and sharing the gospel and penetrating darkness instead of all the things that I'm against. And by the way, I'm against a lot. Hello, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm still against a lot of things, but glory to God, I want to be known now more for what I am for. What are you for, Brother Danny? I'm for taking the gospel to the lost. I'm for reaching the city of Austin. I'm for penetrating, poking holes in the darkness. And so that when you ask somebody, hey, do you know anything about Great Hills Baptist Church? And they say, no, I don't have any clue what that is. They would say, aren't y'all the church that, you with me? Aren't y'all the church that adopted that school? Aren't y'all the church that adopted that nation? Aren't y'all the church that gave a million dollars to the mayor? Yes, that's our church. And that's what Bellevue has done. And they have changed the mentality, the culture. Also in that meeting, I was sitting there and another guy spoke up. Now, I didn't know him very well, but man, I got to know him. His name's John Morgan. We know John Morgan, don't we? John Morgan's pastor of Sagemont Baptist Church. A number of years ago, they asked me to come and preach his 40th anniversary. And so I, pre- I think I preached all day. They have so many services. So I was, they had a month-long celebration. I was one of the four preachers. And I, I preached and honored him and, and talked about that church because our relationship began a number of years ago when he shared this story, this true story. And it went something like this. Gentlemen, can I tell you a little bit about what we're doing at Sagemont? And he told the story of This lawyer, a Christian lawyer. Now, y'all don't laugh. That's not an oxymoron. It is actually, there are Christian attorneys and lawyers. I just haven't met many, but anyhow, they are out there. I know they're out there. This lawyer came up to his pastor, and he said, Brother John, he said, listen, I'm so blessed. He said, pretty much what I do is I come listen to you, and I give a few dollars, and then I go out and live my life, and I don't make any difference in the world. But God's really been speaking to me. Stay with me, church. When when God starts speaking and pulling you back to himself, and you you remember, and you repent, and you, you return back to what you're supposed to be doing, it's a beautiful thing. He said, I'm a lawyer, and I want to use my lawyer skills and probates and wills. I want to bless our congregation. Here's what I'd like to do, Brother John. Are you okay with me doing this? I would like to have a conference at the church, and I want to personally do the wills for anybody and everybody in our church. It costs $350. I don't want to charge them a dime because in Texas, if a man doesn't have a will and he dies, then the wife gets nothing, but the kids get everything. He said, I don't think that's right. I want to help our people. And he said, Pastor, are you okay with that? And I want to tell you something, church. There's some things the pastor don't need to pray about, and that's one of them. He said, yes, let's do it. And the lawyer said, how many do you think will come? 300? Brother John said, no. He said, I bet we'll have 500 people come on that Saturday. Let's promote it. Let's talk about it. And let's get the word out that at Sagemont, we're going to bless our church members. We're going to help them with the free will. 2,213 families showed up. That poor lawyer, he about had a, a cardiac arrest. He goes, oh, what have I done? What have I done? And John said, just, just calm down. He said, we're going to do this. For three weeks, they had 106 people type. And for three weeks, they helped 2,000 families, saved the church $750,000. And the women in the church would come to Pastor John for weeks with tears rolling down their cheeks. And they said, Pastor, thank you so much. My husband has accepted Christ as his Savior. For the first time, he saw the church really being the church of God. It, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. That same church, two weeks ago I was there. I was attending a conference there. And there was, uh, we were having a, a, a Southern Baptist of Texas evangelism conference. 
And, and basically the conference is a bunch of Christians come together, we get encouraged, and we go out and share the gospel with people. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's a blessed thing. And there's this lady, and they, they tell me this. This is a true story. It just happened a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not surprised that it happened in this church. Because this church is known more for what they are for than what they're against. And so there's this Buddhist lady in the, in the neighborhood. The Spirit of God begins to draw her to Jesus Christ and convict her of her sins. And so she didn't know what to do. I love that when that happens. Well, God just falls. You listen, you can't make God fall, but when God falls, buddy, you better know it happens. That was a good word. Let me say it. Let me see if I can repeat that. You can't make God fall, but when he falls on a person or on a church, everybody will know it's God. So this lady wakes up, and she, uh, she goes out in her neighborhood, and she starts asking her neighbors, can you help me find Jesus? And the neighbor said, uh, no, whoa, whoa, no, I can't. But that church can. <laughs> that church over there, they, they're in revival. They're having revival services this week. I can't tell you how to get to God. I probably should, and I'm not living like I should. But go to that church. In fact, there's a lot of cars over there right now. They're in revival. No, we're not. We're in a conference, you know. So this lady, this Buddhist lady goes, okay. And she makes her way. She walks into the church. She opens the door, and all these Christians are there. And the first thing she sees is this huge banner that says her religion, which is Buddhism. And at the table, I actually got this guy's name. Let me see if I can pronounce it. Dan Acharya. It felt good. I wanted to say that. Acharya. He's from Nepal. Okay? He's standing there. This lady comes up, and she goes, Can I find Jesus here? And he says, Yes, ma'am, you can. He leads her to Christ. Pastor John Morgan baptizes her on Wednesday night. You know, isn't that amazing? And things like that start happening in our church, and in our fellowship of faith, and we start repeating and doing the things that we should be doing in the first place. So Jesus rebukes this church at Ephesus. He gives them the requirements of, what, of how they can do it. They need to remember. They need to repent. They need to repeat the former works. And then the, the, the message closes with the results. Here's what happens as a result. The first one is negative. Jesus said, if you don't remember, repent and repeat, then I'm going to remove your lampstand. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? I think it means a couple of things. Number one, I think it means initially that God will take his hand off of that church and they will become like the 85 to 90% of Southern Baptist churches in America today. Y'all okay? Y'all know that about 90% of us now are plateaued and declining and going backwards. I would say the hand of God is removed from those churches. They have a shell of existence. But listen, guys, if, if, if we're not going to be passionate about the things that God is passionate for, he will go find somebody who is. Okay? That was a good word. Let me say that again. I don't have many original thoughts, so I'm, I'm giving them. Okay, I'm going to share it again. If we don't become passionate for the things that Jesus is passionate for, he will find a church that is. Doesn't matter what our history is. Doesn't matter what our legacy is. If today we don't get passionate about the things that God's passionate about, He'll go find somebody in Austin that will be. <clears throat> or He could mean He'll just close them down completely. Did you see the video? Do y'all know the church at Ephesus is hardly, it's not even there. 99.9% Islam. Where's that radiant body of Christ illuminating the gospel in Turkey? Historians believe they initially repented and returned and repeated the second, the third, fourth works, the things they were supposed to have been doing. But over time, they just kind of, they kind of drifted away into historical anonymity, much like a lot of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Listen to me, guys. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but God does give me prophetic words every now and then. So let, let me say this. We are a dying denomination. And unless we get back to doing the basics of preaching the Bible and winning people to Jesus and discipling them, we will be a dead denomination. And the same thing said for the denomination can be said for Great Hills Baptist Church. 
so what that's not going to happen to us. I mean, just look at us. My land. Look, have you looked around? Have you looked at that church? Hey, listen, I'm no apostle Paul, brother. Paul started that church. Preacher, he's not an apostle. John, John pastored that church. And if it can happen at that church, it can surely happen at this church. All we got to do is walk away from Jesus and just keep fighting for the things that, you know, and people just like, well, you know, now more for the things you're against and the things you're for, and just be huddled and holy together and not branch out, then we will die a slow death, just like most churches in America are. I remember standing in a church, they seat 2,000 people, and on Sunday morning they have 100 gray-headed people every Sunday. Just 100 gray-headed, I like gray-headed people, but anyhow, there's 100 older gray, they're the only people left in, in the church. But what about the positive? What if you do remember, and you do repent, and you do come back to me, Jesus said, well, here's what you're going to get, it's going to be good. I will give you... The tree of life, which is synonymous with eternal life, and the paradise of God, which is heaven. Listen, you, you get heaven. I mean, you get me. I am heaven. And you die and you go to heaven. And, and look what you get. You get it all if you will pursue me with passion. But if you don't, what does that mean? What does that mean? As I understand the Gospels, as I understand Revelation, only those that stay with Jesus are the only ones who are truly saved. Because Jesus, the promises are for those who persevere. The blessings are for those who overcome. And if you're not one of those overcoming and persevering, then, then the Bible would say you're not on the road to glory. You're not on the road to heaven. Let me clarify. I did not say that you're not going to stumble and bruise yourself and you're not going to, you're not going to fall into sin. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you're not going to continue in sin. You're going to come back to Jesus. You're going to come back to the church. And if you don't, then you need to meet Jesus. Okay? And then you need to become a follower of Christ. I just, I just, man, oh, more than anything else. I'm not going to talk about you all for right now. I just want to talk about me for just a minute. I want my heart to be zealous for Christ. I don't want to be known as somebody who just always is against something, but, but I want to be known for somebody who, who is for some things. And I, I want to preach this sermon here at Great Hills soon. I, I've never preached it before except for my kids. I've shared this sermon with my children for 20 plus years. And I, I'm, I'm about to get the nerve and the urge to, to preach it eventually here. But one of the best ways that you can keep your heart hot for God to tell people about the Lord. Have you invited anybody to church this week? No, really. Have, have, you, have you invited anybody to Great Hills? Have you shared your, Fred Campbell, don't answer this question. Have you shared the gospel with anybody this week? 90 plus percent of you would say, Brother Danny, I, I, just, I just haven't. I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't. If you're not careful, then you can get on the slippery slope of of departing from the Lord. Wednesday night I was in this hotel room by myself. The Spirit of God, He just came over me. He said, get out of this room. Go share the gospel. There's a man down there that you need to talk to. And I was like, Lord, I'll get to that in a minute. I've got to eat my food. You know, I'm watching this whatever it was I was watching. I know it was important. Man, it had to be really important. Because I was like, Lord, just hold on just a second. Then I'll, and I kept eating my room service food. And the Holy Spirit, God said, come on now. He said, I want you to get up. Go talk to Fati. Fati. I didn't say fatty. I'm not picking on nobody. Fati, F-A-T-I-H. I'm like, Lord, he's a Muslim and I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> Isn't that spiritual? So I already know who he is, Lord. I know. I, I've met him. And he, I'm, I don't know, Lord. I just don't know. I'm, I'm about to go to bed. I got my PJs on. Amen? Got my shorts. Got my T-shirt on. I'm going to bed. Third time, the Holy Spirit says, this is his last opportunity to ever hear the gospel. Go talk to him. Son, I put my food aside. I put on my shoes. And I was walking out the door. I was like, oh, goodness. What am I going to say? What is going to happen? 
Does the Holy Spirit have to tell y'all three times like he does me? Mercy. I wish I would just be a, a lack of just obedience. Like, Here I am. Lord, send me. So finally, I walk downstairs. And listen, guys, he is standing there by himself with no interruption whatsoever. Was that not the Spirit of God telling me to go talk to him? I said, sir, hi. <laughs> Everybody's always interested in this. How do you bring that up? Listen, it's not really hard to bring it up when you love him, when you're just loving him. And I just said, Fatih, is that how you say your name? He said, yes. I said, I just got to tell you, the Lord wants me to talk to you. What is your background? He said, I used to be a Muslim, but now I'm an atheist. I converted to atheism two years ago. I was like, dude, you're a tough nut to crack wine. Or I was like, really? He said, really. He was brilliant, y'all. He was brilliant. And I began to talk to him about the Lord and about the Creator. And he said, yes, it is a beautiful thing because energy created it. I said, energy? I said, energy has a name. <laughs> I said, it's the Lord God Almighty. He created, he created you. And then I got into coagulation. I don't know how the Holy Spirit led me to coagulation, but he led me there. I told him, listen, when you cut your hand, you know there are all these chemical equations, things that have to happen for your blood to seal right there in your hand. He looked at me like I was a strange bird. He looked at me like, dude, what planet did you just get off of? And I began to talk to him about the Lord, and he began to get a little bit defensive, but then we began to share, and for 10 minutes, uninterrupted, nobody interrupted us. And I really felt in my heart, this is his last opportunity to be saved. I said, I want to leave you with one thought, and then I'm, then I'm gone. I gave him the steps to peace with God. I gave him my testimony. I gave him the truelife.org. You'll hear more about that in the next coming weeks, truelife.org. And I said, I got one thing I want to ask you, and then I'm going to leave you alone, okay? He said, go ahead. This is from Adrian Rogers, too. I, didn't, I can't take credit for this, but this is good. I said, Fatih, the most brilliant person in the world could never know 1% of all the knowledge in the world. He said, True. I said, if you knew 1% of all the knowledge in the world, you'd be off the chain, off the charts, kind of brilliant, right? He said, absolutely. I said, could God exist in the 99% that you don't know about? He said, that's why you're here. He told me, that's why you're here, is you're supposed to talk to me. I said, Fati, it's because God is real. God is alive. Phone rang. He answers the phone. He comes back to me. He says, tonight, this very night, I will go home and I will read and I will study what you shared with me. I want to tell you guys, if, if, if we will, <laughs> praise the Lord. I wish all of us would do this. I wish during this week we would take the opportunity to, to love God, love one another, and encourage people to Christ, encourage them to, to our church. And I tell you, when that happens, when calamity strikes, because you're walking with the Lord, you won't depart from Him. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think all of us have that propensity. But if when we're walking with the Lord and telling people about Christ, we, we won't go down that road. I really believe there are some Randys in the church today. I know I'm preaching a little bit long. I'm almost done. But I, I really believe in my heart, whether you're on television, the Internet, or you're right here at 10,500 Jollyville, you're a Randy, your wife left you, your, your bank account depleted, your health got bad, whatever it was, and you have now turned away from God, and you're the lone tree, and you're barren, and you're hurting, and you're desperate. And my word to you, my encouragement to you is to come back and to join the trees. Join, join the fellowship of the body of Christ. Be, be reconnected to the Lord and to his church. I don't know who that's for, but I'm sure it's for somebody. Some of you this day, this very day, need to surrender your heart to the Lord. You need to repent of your sins. You're going this way, and you need to stop. And you need to say, God, I'm tired, sick and tired of doing my own thing. I want to turn around, Jesus. I want to surrender my will to you. I want... I want to be your, your servant. I want to follow you, and I want to live for you, and I want to love you. And when you do that, and the Holy Spirit draws you into that relationship with the Son of God, you will be radically changed. And get this, 
I will not have to talk you in to anything. I won't have to talk you into getting baptized. I won't have to talk you into tithing. I won't have to talk you into anything because your heart will be really changed and you will be so obedient. You'll say, man, just, just show me what to do and I will do it. So, oh, I'm praying that God would do that many times over in our church. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes and we'll have our invitation. We will have pastors and counselors. We'll have deacons. We'll have people standing up here at the front. And I'm just going to invite you in a moment when you stand to your feet. If God has spoken to your heart today and there's a decision, there's a commitment that you need to make, I'm inviting you right now that you would stand up in a moment, you'd come forward, you would kneel at this altar, you would talk to one of these pastors, you would do whatever it is that God has put in on your heart to do. And for some of you, it really is to be saved. Many people doubt and doubt and doubt, and it's not the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's not Satan causing them to doubt. It's the Holy Spirit convicting them of salvation. And so I'm going to invite you to come and be born again. Some of you today need to be saved, no doubt about it. You need to genuinely repent of your sins, and you need to say, March 16, 2014, nail it down, it's done, it's settled. I'm a child of God. And I am ready to get baptized. I'm ready to follow him wherever he may lead. Some of you need to do that this very moment. Others of you today, you, you are the Randys in the sermon. You, you, have, you do know the Lord, and that's, that's the good thing. But the bad thing is you're absolutely miserable. Do you know the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's out of fellowship with God? And man, when you start coming back to God, you will come back to joy and peace. And oh, it's a blessed thing, so I'm inviting you to come. And then finally, there are some here today that God's impressed upon your heart to be a part of Great Hills Baptist Church. And I, and I invite you to come. In just a couple of weeks, we'll invite you to come to our new members class. But today, you can nail it down. You can walk down the aisle. You can talk to one of these counselors and say, this is the church I've been looking for. This is the place that I need to go and I need to serve. Finally, some of you are the lawyers in the story. Some of you have been sitting and listening and been so blessed, but finally, finally, it's dawned on you, you need to use your gifts and your money, and you need to leverage them for the gospel. And you need to be a Phil Sheritz, and you need to be this lawyer down at Sagemont. Listen, guys, we're, we're no different than them. We are a blessed church. We, we have so many gifted people in this church. And I'm just waiting for the ember. I'm just waiting for the spark. Because when it happens, it'll be a mighty fire for God. It'll be a conflagration for God. We're Great Hills Baptist Church. We are known throughout the city as a church that is genuinely, I mean passionately pursuing the Lord. And listen, it could start with you. So, Father, I just pray now that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, I feel like an attorney this morning prosecuting the case for Christ. And, Lord, I pray that, I pray, God, that you'd change people's lives. I know, Lord, that I can't change anybody's life. I, I know that I'm just a messenger. I know I'm an ambassador for you. But I know, God, you can do all things. So, Lord, I'm going to pray even now that you would move upon us. And that, God, you would save lives and you would redeem broken marriages and you would redeem broken hearts even now. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. God bless you as you stand, as you sing, as you come. Terry's going to lead us in a song. I invite you to come. I, I do. I, I employ you. Some of you, you really need to make a decision for Christ today. And I... And these pastors and these deacons, these counselors, they are here. And the reason they're standing here is just because we want to help you. We want to encourage you. So we invite you to come. Even now, Terry leads us.